Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we look at the week's big political stories. I'm Mike Siluma. In this week's episode, we'll have an update on search for the country's new Chief Justice, with a formal departure this week of the incumbent, Justice Mohueng. It will also this week be looking at the developments behind the controversy in Phoenix, where the DA put up posters that referred to the violence that occurred there in July. This icon is racist. I've never ever been a spy. Can the VBS bank loot? The problem is that pinky. I'll never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shift. Can you please come in? Let's welcome my guests now, Freni Repkin, Sunday Times legal correspondent, as well as uh, Lawson Naidu, Executive Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution. Let's go to our first topic now. Shall I start with you, uh, Lawson? When you are looking at the state of the apex court today, would you say that it is in a stronger or weaker position than it has been before? Thank you, Mike. Look, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one would have to say that it is not uh, the strongest that this court has ever been. I think it's difficult to generally compare courts from uh, one era to the next. Uh, but certainly, you know, given the number of vacancies that exist or likely to exist, the fact that uh, you know, we have three judges at the moment who are on long leave. And there are a number of acting appointments, and there have been a number of acting appointments at the Apex Court for some time. Uh, so the Constitutional Court is not in, in an ideal state of health at this point in time, as we are about to fill a number of vacancies there. So I think it's a it's a real opportunity uh, for renewal. Uh, and for the assertion of the authority of the Apex Court. Yeah, Franny, maybe before we go too far, let, let, let us take it a, a step back and, and look at the process that is being followed uh, to, to find a, a, a new Chief Justice. Is, is this a new kind of uh, like territory or is it, would this have happened before, you know? It's not entirely new. There was a similar kind of process followed um, once before by President Nelson Mandela when um, Chief Justice Ishmael Mohammed was appointed, but for the most part, since then, um, the president has nominated a single person who has then been interviewed by the Judicial Service Commission. Um, what's important is that the constitution itself kind of leaves the choice of the chief justice in the hands of the president, and the process that he follows is largely up to him or her when we have a woman president. So it's, it's really a, quite a discretionary affair. And we've seen that there has been some criticism of the president with people saying that this is not what the constitution envisages. But certainly the way I read the constitution, the president is not excluded from following this process, even though he's not specifically mandated to follow this process. Mm -hmm. Do do you want to just break it down very briefly as to what the sequence of of what has happened and what is likely to happen next? Sure. And I think it's important because there's been a lot of confusion about what has happened in the last week. What the president did was that he first called for public nominations. And that means that anyone from the public could send in a nomination saying, I think Lawson Naidu would be a great chief justice, and this is why. And But there were some qualifying criteria, one of them being that whoever is nominated had to consent, and the other would be that they had to have letters of support. And obviously, they have to be appropriately qualified 
um, under the constitution. So we saw the nominations come in. What then happened was that the, pres um, the presidency published a list of all those public nominations that had come in that had fulfilled those specific criteria. So there was a nomination, the nominee had accepted nomination and that they had gotten support of um, a legal organization or more. Obviously, there were, you know, if you were disqualified, for example, you know, if someone had nominated Sam Huang to be Chief Justice again, he wouldn't have qualified because he's due to retire. Or if you didn't have a law degree, for example, maybe that someone like that would have been disqualified. And then apparently, according to the, the to the press release, there were people who were nominated a few times by different people. So, and then what we ended up with was was um, eight names, and though those names have produced a lot of debate and some consternation. All that they are is the names of people who've been nominated by members of the public that fulfill those criteria. What is then going to happen is we now have a period for objections where anyone can write in and say, we object to that candidate because of X, Y, and Z. That will close, I think, on the 15th. And then the important date is the date where the panel, the advisory panel that the president has set up to give him advice on that, will whittle those public nominations down to a list of between three and five, the president said, and that's what the terms of reference say, and give that list, which is a real short list, to the president from which he must then make his choice. Lawson, given the, the timings, the fact that the, the incumbent is just about gone and has been gone for a while, um, why would the president go down the route of an extended public consultation like that? Well, I think the president has indicated for some time now that he was going to follow a process such as this. I think the, the concern is that he launched the process uh, too late. It should have been done at least a couple of months ago so that we would have had a chief justice identified by now. And when uh, Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng departs on Monday, uh, the 11th of October, there would be someone ready to, to step into his shoes immediately. Uh, but, you know, we must all remember that, you know, this is a, a process that is similar to that that the president has followed with regards to the appointment of the National Director of Public Prosecutions, as well as the Commissioner of the South African Revenue Service, where an open process like this has been uh, uh, has been devised and implemented. So it's in keeping with that, uh, uh, you know, that kind of uh, process that the president seems to prefer. And it's, it's a process that I think that is welcome because it gives the public uh, a sense of a stake in this process, being able to, to nominate people and to monitor the process and to see how it unfolds, how the independent panel uh, that Franny has referred to actually does its job, and particularly how it does its job after the 15th of October when they will have received all the public submissions on the candidates that have been uh, nominated and ultimately um, uh, develop a shortlist which they need to give to the president. And importantly, when they give that list to the president, they need to also provide reasons as to why uh, they're nominating those three or five uh, candidates uh, uh, that they will nominate to the president. Mm. Friend, what, what, what kind of, you know, because I want to come to, to the outgoing incumbent uh, shortly. Uh, but when we're looking for, what, for, for a, a chief justice, what, what sort of uh, criteria, you know, um, some of them, you know, you know, I suspect they'll be along, but but for you, the ones that that that, that stand out, you know, there's a lot of things that the, that the chief justice, um, a lot of qualities that one would hope that the chief justice would possess, um, and it relates to the the roles that the chief justice fulfills. I think the most important are the ones that are specified in the constitution. The chief justice must be qualified, must be fit and proper. 
and um, appropriately qualified in the case of the Chief Justice must mean sufficiently experienced. In the case of, of a Chief Justice, you need to have someone who can lead, someone who can lead in terms of intellectual leadership, someone who can lead in terms of you must remember that the Chief Justice now is the head of the entire judiciary, not just the head of the Constitutional Court, which means that they must lead the whole judiciary. And that is a big means being in charge of quite a big administration. That's a big part of the function of the Chief Justice now. Then, of course, as with all judicial appointments, charges us to think about the fact that the judiciary has to reflect our population in terms of race and gender. And that's a factor that needs to be considered when we look at judicial appointments. So that's something that must be thrown into the pot as well. Those are the ones that I'm thinking of off the top of my head now. Mm -hmm. And Lawson, I'd like for you to to come in here. The the outgoing Chief Justice, towards the end of his term, he seems to to caught uh, quite a bit of of controversy. Um, Would you say that he veered too much into controversial issues in society or that that was part of the expectation with, with his role? Well, you know, I think, you know, perhaps to, to add to what Franny has just said about the qualities one wants to see in a Chief Justice, and one of those qualities is, is, uh, is the ability to, uh, to be beyond reproach and ready to be, uh, you know, the epitome of what we would want to see in a judicial leader uh, of a judge that, or a magistrate that any one of us might appear before, that someone who is fiercely independent, impartial, uh, and so on. And I think in, in, in the latter years, uh, Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng has veered off that path. Uh, you know, he came in under a cloud of some controversy when he was appointed in 2011, uh, but acquitted himself very well uh, for a number of years on, on the court and, and you know, uh, uh, proved his detractors wrong uh, in many, many respects. But I think in the last couple of years, he's been, he's sat in very few cases on the court. He's, uh, he's had a very hands-off approach and he leaves the court under a major cloud, having been uh, found uh, to have breached the judicial code of ethics on his comments on uh, uh, on Israel and Palestine. So he leaves under that cloud, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, you know there's a there's a level of skepticism uh, towards the court as a whole because the leader embodies what the court is, and that's really what we want to see in a new chief justice, somebody that is going to be beyond reproach and is able to elevate. Uh, the status and the respect that the constitutional court has and that the judiciary as a whole has, because it's through that person that we develop our perceptions of the judiciary as a whole. Rani, just looking at the list uh, that has come out, two names seem to have stood out in the in, in the last couple of days, uh, that of the Western Cape uh, Judge President John Sope and the public protector, Busisu uh, Mkwebani. Uh, what, what, what's the controversy about them? Why, why are they, you, you would think they're the front runners, the way people are talking about them. I think the, the reason why they're standing out is because they are, they're controversial. I mean, they are both facing impeachment. Um, the public protector is on trial for perjury. Even if Judge Lope manages to set aside his, the impeachment process against him, because he's going to court on that. And even if um, um, the public protector doesn't get impeached and is found not guilty of, of perjury. All of that is not going to happen now. And the president has to appoint a chief justice now. It is inconceivable to me that the president could choose either one of those two now. You cannot choose a chief justice who is mired in misconduct allegations to the point where they are about to be impeached or or be criminally charged. It's just inconceivable. 
And I think the fact that they are being talked about is because for, there's two reasons. One is that, you know, there was a bit of confusion as to what this list that was released was. What, there was there was some feeling that it was a short list from the presidency and therefore what was going on, how could they be on the short list? So that was the first reason. And the second reason is that they have some support, um, political support from some, some South Africans. Um, but I think realistically, support or not, they, they, it would be inconceivable for the president to appoint them. And finally, Lawson Nigel, the Constitutional Court and, and probably parts of, of the rest of the judiciary have, have been coming under some political pressure, you know, with people publicly criticizing, you know, the judgments, et, et cetera. You know, sometimes even people are taking the judges, you know, to say some of the judges have been captured, they've been given money and that kind of thing. Do, do you, would you say that it, 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 that that's a kind of expected and, and, and acceptable kind of development in a, in a democracy or, or in a constitutional democracy? Or do you think that uh, maybe we should be concerned about that? Look, I think if there was any substance to, uh, behind any of those allegations, then it would be acceptable. But it's got to be unacceptable when politicians in particular uh, start uh, attacking uh, the judiciary and individual judges uh, uh, in the way that they have been. Uh, you know, without a, a semblance of any evidence to support the allegations and the, the very strong allegations that are made against some, some of these judges. Uh, it therefore has to be unacceptable. It, it undermines the integrity of the judiciary. It undermines the respect for them. And it ultimately undermines respect for the rule of law. So I think it's something that should not be tolerated. And unfortunately, because of the leadership vacuum that we've had in the judiciary, we haven't had anyone to stand up for, on behalf of the judges and rebut these wild allegations that are being made. And therefore, they tend to stick because they're not being forcefully uh, re enough rebutted. Uh, and, 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 you know, th that is sad. And th that's why we we're in the situation where these political attacks on the judiciary continue. And they continue because uh, largely political cases that are being brought before the courts through no fault of the courts. Courts don't choose which matters they hear. Political parties and politicians bring those cases to court and then want to use the courtroom uh, as a political battleground. Okay. Let us now uh, thank our, our guests uh, for this segment uh, of, of our conversation, Lawson Naidu, Executive Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, as well as Fran Repkin, who is the Sunday Times legal correspondent. Uh, we now go to the other big story of the week, uh, for which we're joined by Tabo Mukwani, who's uh, the Sunday Times uh, parliamentary correspondent. And we are going to be talking about uh, the controversy uh, sparked by the DA putting up controversial campaign posters in Phoenix. This is what John Steenhuisen, the DA leader, had to say in mid-range while he was on a campaign trail. No, I'm not going to apologize because I was on the ground. I saw exactly what was so going on. So were we, Mr. Steenhuisen, and which is exactly why, and this is exactly why we saw, what we saw, Mr. Steenhuisen, is a divided community along racial lines. And it was Francois Rogers, your KZN leader, who said the ANC is being opportunistic by using race. Why does the DA hate dealing with race when race is something that's race. fundamental to our society? We're confronting the racism. We're confronting the racism by calling out the stereotyping that was done by the ANC and its leadership in Phoenix. 
all they've done. So there are no it, racial it, undertones with what happened in Phoenix. Let's be very specific here. I'm saying to you that it is wrong. There were absolutely racial incidents in Phoenix. Absolutely. But you don't take a paintbrush and then paint the entire community of Phoenix as bloodthirsty racist Indians as the ANC have done. There were heroic people in that community who stood up and protected the elderly. They protected young children. They protected businesses in the face of a government that completely lost control of the situation because they cannot even get the basics like policing right, just as they can't get the basics of water right here in Gauteng. But Mr. Stenhazen, as you say, there were, in fact, you know that there was no looting that happened in Phoenix. Most of the people that were killed in Phoenix were people who were passing by of African uh, descent by nature. And there was also racial understones, which are real. As the under saying, we were also on the ground. There were people that were killed, killed for no reason. What do you say about those? And as a politician, you should know that perceptions mean a lot. What do you think the families of, of those that lost uh, their loved ones are going to say when they see up those posters where you say people that killed their loved ones are heroes? I didn't say the people who killed loved ones are heroes. Do not put words in my mouth. I said quite fundamentally that those people who upheld the rule of law and respected justice and protected uh, their communities lawfully during the time are heroes. Anyone who broke the law is no hero of mine. I'm a firm believer in the rule of law, in constitutionalism, and standing up for the right thing to do. Welcome to the show, Eitam. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for hosting me. Is, is the DA taking down the posters or not? Yeah, following um, intense public pressure, the DA um, chairperson in KZN, Dean McPherson, just issued a statement apologizing and announcing that he would be seeing to it today that uh, those uh, controversial posters are removed from um, the area of Phoenix. Obviously, this follows a very serious public uh, backlash that took place all over media, on social media, on Twitter. We saw the DA leader, uh, John Stianese, um having a torrid time yesterday. Um, he was just at pains justifying um, these controversial posters that um, really, you know, um, smack of racism. I mean, uh, we're talking about a situation where in July, more than uh, 30 people, in fact, 36 people to be precise, um, lost their lives in the area of Phoenix um, after some vigilante groups, you know, um, sought out to protect themselves because they were feeling betrayed or not protected by uh, the police and the defense force at the height of the looting and the civil unrest in KZN. So, I mean, Phoenix is a predominantly um, Indian suburb uh, in Devon. Um, so, yeah, these vigilante groups, you know, um, they set up to protect themselves because, yeah, as I say, they felt betrayed by the police. But in so doing, um, they were um, sort of reckless because um, innocent uh, passers-by, uh, uh, people who really had nothing to do with the, with the looting, um, a lot of them black um, um, were killed uh, by these vigilante groups. Uh, I'm talking about innocent uh, black people. Um, from areas such as Kwamashu uh, uh, um, and uh, Inanda and other uh, predominantly black uh, townships. So, so, so it's uh, it's it's quite a big deal. I mean, um, for the DA to put up a posters that say the ANC called you racist, um, we are calling you heroes, whereas so many black lives were lost. Um, you know, it exposes and reveals. Um, <clears throat> The lack of sensitivity the DA has um, on the issue of race in the country, um, and uh, it's 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 turned out to be a spectacular on goal on the part of the DA uh, that has literally ended um, uh, colloquially. I can say cheers for them uh, because um, I mean 
such a spectacular on goal at the height of an election um, campaign is, is so undesirable for any political party that takes itself seriously. You know, immediately after the controversy is started, uh, the same uh, Dean McPherson, you know, uh, was 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 on public media uh, defending the decision to put up the posters. What do you think could have happened in the background to cause the the climb down? Outside the public backlash and how uh, members of the media uh, took on the DA on this issue, uh, behind the scenes, a lot uh, happened within the Democratic Alliance. There was a meeting yesterday of a provincial uh, management committee of the DA in KZN, where this issue was uh, raised um, quite sharply uh, by um, um, what you can say, um, yeah, black leaders uh, in in, in Natal. We understand that uh, people like the former provincial leaders or Kele Mwango, Balin Tuli, were quite at the center of um, raising alarm um, around this uh, issue. Uh, they wanted to know how did these posters came about because as a provincial management committee, they made it clear in that meeting that uh, uh, they had not sanctioned um, these posters and uh, they, they really demanded answers, uh, which has led us to where we are now. We are seeing these things, um, these posters uh, being um, removed. Um, also, we saw um, the DMRL candidate for Johannesburg, Paul Palazzi, also breaking, breaking ranks with uh, John Stianese in saying that, no, um, this is not something we should be doing um, as a party. We should uh, uh, be showing sensitivity to all racial groupings in the country. We can't be um, saying, you know, uh, calling people heroes when black people uh, lost uh, so many lives. So so that's what really happened uh, behind the scenes, but like, there was quite um, um, sort of a a, 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 a a big war within the DA uh, behind the scenes uh, until Dean McPherson eventually succumbed, uh, issuing a statement this uh, afternoon on Thursday saying that uh, He's taking responsibility and even confessing that, uh, um, you know, these posters were his own initiative and that they had not been sanctioned by anyone. Quite astounding. For someone look, looking in from, from the outside, it, 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 it actually defies logic that uh, you're going into an election, you're a political party, you're going into, into an election. Presumably you want as many people as possible to vote for your party. But they, they, whoever, you know, whether it was Dean McPherson on his own or with others, uh, they decided to, according, you know, in the way that it came across, that they were taking sides in, you know, on the side of the, of the, of the, of the vigilantes in Phoenix uh, as against the, the rest of the, of the black population in, in the area. You know, what, 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 what does that say about the, the, the strategy, the, the electoral strategy of the DA in that area? It, it, it shows you um, that um, there's really no strategy, for Mike. Um, the, the DA simply has no idea how to handle um, the issue of race. Um, and, 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 and it has backfired. I mean, their campaign now is, is in turmoil. Um, they are in a situation where, I mean, wherever they are right now, they can't even um, send a message they would want to uh, put out there to voters as to why they should vote. Uh, for the DA. Uh, this thing has just uh, yeah, messed up their campaign. Uh, I mean, even um, Helen Zille uh, today, she, she was in, in Gomani in the Eastern Cape where she's, uh, she, she, she had gone to inspect um, that uh, controversial 15 million rand uh, so-called stadium. And um, the whole thing just uh, got, um, you know, um, 
dominated by the, the, the controversial posters. So, so they've really um, scored a very spectacular own goal. Um, they've made campaigning uh, for themselves very difficult. Um, they may have, uh, they may be withdrawing or pulling down the posters, but it certainly, uh, that's not gonna make the issue go away. I think it will continue to haunt them um, going into this um, election. And um, uh, by so doing, they've also, um, you know, send out a message to uh, potential black po uh, voters, um, even those disgruntled ANC supporters who were considering um, the DA as, a, as an option to the ANC or the EFF or any other party, they would um, uh, certainly be reconsidering uh, after this year um, that exposes how the DA really um, shows little regard to black lives. And, and just lastly, uh, talking about uh, other, other political parties, uh, the, 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 what has been their response? And, and has that been particularly helpful in terms of uh, the, the tensions and the controversy you know, that has been sparked by the posters? Naturally, um, political parties opposed to the DA uh, my would, 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 would seize the moment and, uh, and, 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 and mine um, uh, the, the, the opportunity. Uh, you know, they, 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 they like, uh, right now they're like, especially the ANC, they like, oh, of course, we told you so. Um, the DA um, is not a party to be trusted by you as black people. They have little regard um, for you. Uh, I mean, um, just today uh, we saw the uh, Deputy Secretary General of the, of, the, of, the, of the ANC driving a very similar message. She was very quick to rush to Phoenix uh, to, to, to say, to the people of Phoenix that uh, as the ANC, uh, we, we, we are here, uh, consider us an option, um, forget about the DA, they, they care less uh, about black lives or Indian lives for that matter, as long as they can secure the votes. So, 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 so the response has really been um, to um, just grab the opportunity and shoot down and, and use this crisis to shoot down the DA. Okay, uh, that's all we have time for on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly this week. And we'd like to thank uh, our guest uh, for this for this segment of the conversation, Ntabo Mkoni, who's the Sunday Times uh, parliamentary correspondent. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Trevor. It's my pleasure, And by the way, you can find a podcast of this conversation on iono.fm, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to source your podcasts. Until next time, we still say stay safe, sanitize, wear the mask, and avoid crowded places. I'm Mike Siluma. Until next week. <laughs>